Good morning and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Saturday, June 24th, 2023. And with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman, and here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we'll talk about Zambia's historic debt restructuring deal, U.S. intelligence's findings on the origins of COVID-19, Germany's immigration reforms, the U.S. Supreme Court upholding a deportation policy, and the Southern Transitional Council's stance on peace talks in Yemen. Story number one. Zambia has successfully agreed new repayment terms with its state creditors on up to $6.3 billion debt, including over $4.0 billion owed to China, following months of talks, as reported by the BBC. The deal is hailed as historic and could pave the way for other debt-ridden countries to follow suit. Although the details of the deal have not yet been released, it appears that Zambia will be granted an extended repayment time of over 20 years, including a three-year grace period with interest-only payments. While a bailout agreement had already been reached with the International Monetary Fund, IMF, Zambia needed to restructure its debt to unlock much-needed funds. By renegotiating the debt terms, Zambia gains valuable breathing space to stabilize its economy, implement necessary reforms, and pursue long-term growth. Did you see that Zambia finally managed to renegotiate its debt with state creditors, including China? This is a huge win for President Hichilema and his administration. It's going to give Zambia some much-needed breathing room to focus on economic recovery. Yes, it's definitely a positive development. However, it's important to remember that this is just the first step in a long journey towards financial stability. They still have over $6 billion owed to private lenders— and it's not guaranteed that they'll follow suit with similar debt restructuring. True. But you gotta give credit where it's due, Linda. This deal is being hailed as historic and could pave the way for other debt-ridden countries to follow Zambia's lead. I think it's a sign that things are finally looking up for the country. I agree that it's a significant achievement, Mark, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Zambia's debt crisis was partly due to corruption and mismanagement of funds in the past, it's crucial that the government now follows a strict economic recovery plan and focuses on transparency and accountability to prevent history from repeating itself. Well, I have faith in President Hichilema's leadership. He's already shown commitment to tackling the country's financial woes, and this debt deal is a testament to that. Plus, with the IMF releasing $188 million from its bailout package, Zambia's got a solid foundation to build on. That's true. But it's also important to consider the potential downsides of this debt restructuring, such as a downgrade in Zambia's credit rating. This could make it more expensive for the country to borrow money in the future, which might hamper their long-term economic growth. Well, I think that's a risk worth taking, given the immediate relief this deal brings. And, as Dr. Lubinda Habazoka from the University of Zambia suggests, it's time for Zambia to start looking at new sources of revenue and focus on creating new industries and businesses. This could help them become less reliant on external loans. I agree that diversifying their economy and finding alternative revenue sources is essential, but it's going to be a lengthy process. It's vital that Zambia doesn't lose sight of the importance of responsible borrowing and sustainable growth in the meantime. The road to recovery is long and challenging, and they still have a lot of work ahead. Story number two. U.S. intelligence agencies have found no direct evidence that COVID-19 broke out from a Chinese laboratory, according to a declassified report by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, ODNI, 
as reported by the BBC. The report said both a natural and laboratory origin remain plausible scenarios, with most U.S. intelligence agencies agreeing the virus was not genetically engineered or laboratory adapted. The origins of the pandemic have been a matter of bitter debate in the U.S., with the lab leak theory being strongly rejected by China. The ODNI report was released after Congress passed a bill in March, giving U.S. intelligence 90 days to declassify what it knew about the Wuhan Institute of Virology. WIV. This declassified report on COVID-19 origins is really something, huh? It's like we're still in the dark about whether it came from a lab or not. But you know, it's interesting how most U.S. intelligence agencies agree that the virus wasn't genetically engineered or adapted in a lab. Yes, it's quite fascinating. While the lab leak theory has been strongly rejected by China, the fact that two agencies, including the FBI, still believe it could have leaked from a lab shows that the debate is far from over. It's reminiscent of other events in history where the truth remains elusive, and it raises questions about the consequences of such uncertainty on international relations and public trust. Absolutely, Linda. And it's not just about the origins of the pandemic, but also about the challenges of gathering and verifying information in the context of politically charged issues. I mean, look at how the joint China-WHO investigation found the lab leak theory extremely unlikely. But that report itself was criticized for creating more questions than answers. That's a great point, Mark. And it's essential to consider how these challenges play a role in shaping the narrative around the pandemic's origins. It's not just about finding the truth, but also about understanding the motivations and biases that may be influencing the various theories and opinions held by different intelligence agencies, experts, and political figures. Yeah, it makes you wonder if we'll ever truly know the origins of COVID-19, considering it has already claimed nearly 7 million lives worldwide. But I guess that's the nature of these complex issues. Sometimes the truth is just hard to pin down, and we're left grappling with the consequences of uncertainty. Indeed, Mark. It's a sobering reminder of the importance of transparency, collaboration, and open-mindedness in scientific research and international relations. As we continue to navigate the ongoing pandemic, it's crucial to learn from these challenges and work together to build a more resilient and informed global community. Story number three. The German parliament has approved immigration reforms aimed at attracting skilled workers to the country due to a labor shortage, as reported by Al Jazeera. The law includes a points-based system that lowers entry hurdles for work visa applicants based on their professional qualifications, age, and language skills. The Association of German Chambers of Commerce and Industry has said that more than half of German companies are struggling to fill vacancies due to a lack of skilled workers. It's fascinating to see Germany taking steps to address their labor shortage by making it easier for skilled workers to immigrate. This points-based system they've implemented seems like a smart way to attract the right kind of talent. What do you think, Linda? I agree, Mark. It's a delicate balance between attracting skilled immigrants and maintaining strict immigration policies to protect domestic employment. Germany's approach with this points-based system, which considers professional qualifications, age, and language skills, could be an effective way to ensure they're bringing in the right people to fill those gaps in the labor market. Absolutely. And you know, this isn't the first time we've seen a country try to strike that balance. Canada and Australia have had points-based immigration systems for years, and they seem to be working well for them. 
It's all about finding the right mix of policies to make sure you're getting the skilled workers you need without opening the floodgates to unskilled labor. That's true, Mark. However, it's important to remember that there are concerns from conservative and far-right political factions in Germany. They argue that easing immigration could potentially lead to an influx of unskilled laborers, which could negatively impact domestic employment. It's a complex issue, and it will be interesting to see how Germany navigates these challenges. Yeah, you're right. There's always going to be some pushback when it comes to immigration policies, but I think it's crucial to look at the bigger picture here. Germany has a serious labor shortage, and they need skilled workers to keep their economy strong. If they can strike the right balance with these new policies, it could be a win-win for everyone involved. Definitely, Mark. And it's not just about the immediate labor shortage, it's also about planning for the future. As the global workforce continues to evolve, countries will need to adapt their immigration policies to stay competitive and attract the best talent. It will be interesting to see how Germany's new approach plays out and whether it serves as a model for other countries facing similar challenges. Story number four. The U.S. Supreme Court has upheld a policy introduced by President Joe Biden that narrows the scope of those prioritized for deportation, as reported by Al Jazeera. The policy orders authorities to prioritize apprehending and deporting non-U.S. citizens deemed to be a threat to national security, public safety, or border security, while those who had lived in the U.S. over the long term without issue were deprioritized. The ruling addressed a challenge brought by Texas and Louisiana, which argued that the more relaxed enforcement would encourage migration and stretch their resources thin. Hasn't the Supreme Court ruling on the Biden administration's immigration policy shown that the executive branch has the authority to set enforcement priorities? I mean, we have around 11 million undocumented people in the U.S., and it's just practical to prioritize those who pose a threat to national security, public safety, or border security. That's true, Mark. But we also have to consider the concerns of states like Texas and Louisiana. They argue that more relaxed enforcement might encourage migration and put a strain on their resources. It's essential to find a balance between the federal government's priorities and the needs of individual states. I understand that, Linda. But the Supreme Court's eight. One ruling made it clear that states don't have the authority to challenge the federal government's enforcement priorities. The executive branch is responsible for making arrests and prosecuting offenses, not the judiciary. Yes, but we cannot ignore the fact that states are directly impacted by these policies. Historically, there have been cases where states challenged federal immigration policies and their concerns should be taken into account. It's important to ensure that states have a voice in shaping these policies. I get your point, but we also have to remember that immigration enforcement priorities evolve over time. The Biden administration's policy is a departure from the hardline approach of the Trump era, and it's more focused on preserving national security while respecting the contributions of immigrants to our society. I think it's a step in the right direction. I agree that the priorities have evolved, Mark, but we must also consider the potential implications for the 2024 elections. Immigration policies have always been a hot-button issue, and striking the right balance between enforcement and compassion is crucial. We need to ensure that the concerns of both the federal government and the states are addressed. Story number five. The Guardian reports that Maj Gen Aderus al-Zubaidi, the leader of the Southern Transitional Council, STC, has stated that peace talks on Yemen must accept that the country is divided in two, 
with the Houthis controlling the North and the STC governing the South. Zubaydi said that the issue of a separate southern state must be foregrounded in discussions. The talks are largely controlled by Saudi Arabia, which is keen to end a war estimated to have caused more than 250,000 deaths. The STC has vowed to hold a UN-supervised referendum before the South goes independent. The STC would like to return to the period between 1967 and 1990, when Yemen was divided in two with a separate socialist state in the South. Should we really be surprised that the Southern Transitional Council leader is calling for the acceptance of a divided Yemen in peace talks? I mean, it's clear that the situation in Yemen is incredibly complex. And it's not the first time we've seen a country struggle with divisions like this. That's true, Mark. History has shown us that peace negotiations in regions with significant divisions can be incredibly challenging. Take the division of East and West Germany after World War II, or the partition of India, for example. These situations require delicate diplomacy and a deep understanding of the cultural and political factors at play. Absolutely, Linda. And in Yemen's case, we have the added complexity of external powers like Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates being involved. It's a real geopolitical chess game, and finding a solution that satisfies all parties is no easy task. Indeed. And we must also consider the impact of divergent cultural and religious identities within Yemen itself. The Southern Transitional Council leader's call for a divided Yemen highlights the importance of addressing these differences in the peace talks. It's crucial to create a framework that respects the unique identities of both the North and the South. You're spot on, Linda. And while it's tempting to look at historical precedents like Germany and India for guidance, we have to remember that every situation is unique. What worked in those cases might not necessarily work in Yemen. The key is to learn from history while also being adaptable and open to new solutions. I couldn't agree more, Mark. It's essential for all parties involved in the peace talks to approach the situation with an open mind and a willingness to compromise. Only then can we hope to achieve a lasting peace that addresses the complex challenges facing Yemen today. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.